KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. It definitely gave me the perspective of everything happens for a reason, that life has a plan. And at, at that moment, you know, where things seem at its worst, try to tell yourself, like, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And our guest this week, Marco Dabke. He is a fitness coach and professional owner of CrossFit MFP in Havertown and a CrossFit competitor, one of the top ones in the area. Marco, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, this is a, it's exciting. really interested to... Uh, explore this podcast with you just because I just really love the variety of what you know you offer and you had a great referral so this is going to be fun thank you thank you very much I'd like to start for people that aren't familiar that maybe have just heard the name maybe have a friend or somebody at work who does it define CrossFit what is CrossFit absolutely this is a question obviously I'll, I'll get from a lot of people and when you someone might hear the word CrossFit, they might associate that word with maybe something negative. Unless you know someone who does it, then it's extremely positive. The way I'll define CrossFit for you is, is, is pretty simple. It's a it's a fitness method. It's also, in a sense, a fitness culture. But what I think is really important to understand is that it is a global and worldwide fitness method. It's not just something that you will see in your you will see CrossFit within the entire world. I think that's what makes it extremely unique compared to any other fitness method or trend out there. And so what I would describe CrossFit as someone, if you're off the street and you never experienced it, you could think of it as a workout, you could think of it as a program where you will get a complete variety of, of different things, whether if it's just learning how to move your body weight, if you're learning how to use barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, boxes, running, rowing, biking, you name it. CrossFit takes all these different types of training tools and methods and it takes it into its own unique way of combining them. Um, That's a very general and broad way of doing it. Now, when they define CrossFit, if you're someone who uh, understands or takes a level one course, they've defined it as constantly varied functional movements at a high intensity. The other term is, we explain it, work capacity across broad time and modal domains. So what that is basically saying is specializing and not specializing in a certain sort of area of fitness. So people that do CrossFit, you want to be, we can say fit. I want to be fit. I want to be healthy. I want to do things that on a day-to-day basis and not have trouble doing them. So CrossFit is essentially going to take exercises and movements that could potentially improve your overall quality of life on a day-to-day basis for that. So without going too deep into like what those components are and explaining them, it's, it's fun. It's typically in a, in a community based environment and group classes, you know, you get to connect with other people. You're essentially in an environment of like-minded individuals and people who all have the same goal of like just wanting to improve their fitness, overall well-being, and quality of life. And obviously we have the, benefit of just looking good while you're naked you know what i mean so <laughs> but, that's a selling um, point right there <laughs> that, that's a very general way of doing it now not to go off on too much of a tangent but crossfit because there are so many gyms in the way they provide it that 
CrossFit gyms could be very, very different and unique in their own sense. Um, it's not a franchise model where, you know, essentially they give you all the equipment, they give you the program. The person that owns a CrossFit gym has the ability to really make it their own unique way. So when it comes to like the workouts on a day-to-day basis, the person that owns the gym can essentially make those workouts themselves. Um, and a CrossFit gives you like a guideline of like how to program and how to set workouts safely and effectively. But, you know, that's where we can start maybe getting into the complications of like why there might be negative stigmas out there of CrossFit. So, but overall it, it's, you know, you might hear, but it's really not anything where someone, if someone says something in a negative connotation of CrossFit, typically they, they've never been into a, a CrossFit gym or at least been into a, a good one. So your athletic career, it actually, it sounds like football was your first love and your first focus growing up at Nishamak, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, well, actually, when I, when I first started getting into sports, actually, my first thing was baseball. I'm Puerto Rican and my father was, is from Puerto Rico and his f- first sport was baseball. And that kind of just ended up becoming something that I just moved into because it's just a popular sport for that culture. And I tried football. And then I was just like, oh, my God, I love football. Just something about the energy, the the movement, just the style of play versus baseball. I became attracted to the football. And I pretty much played multi-sport until um, eighth grade track, baseball, basketball, every sport throughout the whole season. And then once high school hit, I just committed to football after freshman year because that's where I saw myself growing as an athlete. And you were all in defense, right? Safety and linebacker? Yeah, I was safety and linebacker for the most part. And then as I was transferring into my senior year, actually, like, quick offset, my my role model is Tony Gonzalez. So I always wanted to be like Tony Gonzalez growing up in football. So I always wanted to play receiver or tight ends. And I just naturally had very good hands, like, with catching the ball. So as I was transferring into senior year, I was getting an opportunity to play receiver. Um, And I, I would consider myself a natural athlete where, like, playing receiver wasn't difficult for me. Like I could play multi areas on the field. Like they would just put me wherever because I just had the ability to adapt to a different position. Um, So I was getting an opportunity to play offense too. And you were being recruited uh, or started to be recruited pretty heavily. Am I correct? Yeah, I was getting, um, I went to the Chamonix high school and, and that was a very fortunate high school for me to go to because we were very, very good in football it was an easy place to be recruited because those schools would have Nishamini on the radar. He was playing for Nishamini. And so me being able to set myself apart um, when recruits would come in, I would be one of the first kids. My, my other good friend, Corey would be one of the first kids that would like get to go meet those coaches and they would ask for all of our information. So I was being like the main area, the main school that I was attracted to and that had very high interest in me was Navy that would be like the top school. And then from there it was all one double a and then some division two, but I was either one double a or maybe somewhere like Navy was like a top priority that were looking at me. So football's progressing, but then all of a sudden you get, I don't want to say sidetracked. It's much more serious than that, but you take ill kind of talk to me. What happens? How do you, when do you start to realize something's wrong? Yeah. So, this is pretty much the moment and point where like my whole life changes forever. 
you know, my whole life's dedicated to like becoming this football phenomenon. I was very, very dedicated. We had a very good program off season and I was building myself to have a great senior year. And then we were getting ready for our spring uh, testing and our lifting. Um, and we were getting ready for seven all sevens. This was about what May 2010, May 2010, and I started to feel just on a daily basis like a little wheezing in my chest, and just I was kind of feeling under the weather from time to time, but I wasn't really like getting better. It was kind of like a sniffle and cough that was like just not getting and not improving. I was having other weird elements going on. Um, and it just progressively got worse over a month to the point where I woke up one day and I couldn't breathe. Like I like the, a couple of days before, like I even tested in, in our lifts and I like PR meaning I had personal records and lifted much more than like, you know, squatting 500, you know, 485 or, you know, power cleaning 285, all these big numbers and all that stuff and feeling good, but battling through these like breathing issues battling through like this fatigue and just all these little things going on. And then I wake up that one day and just like, I could not breathe and I had to get rushed to the hospital. And long story short, you know, they did an x-ray. They're like, this is not good. You need to go to chop. And pretty much the rest was history from there. What's the diagnosis? The diagnosis is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. So it is a blood form of cancer. It's actually known as a childhood form of cancer. So really, really, you know, young kids are the typical individual that would get this form of cancer. So, I mean, I was uh, 17 at the time. So, I mean, I wasn't a typical norm for that, but it is possible. But with that blood form of cancer, it's also a form that, that spreads extremely fast. That's why that name acute comes from. And it pretty much goes to the point where, like, that's why it took, like, a month for me to, like, almost get to the point where, like, I could have woken up and or not have woken up because the cancer spreads everywhere because your blood goes everywhere. So it hits your, you know, your main organs, your lungs, obviously, that's where I was having a ton of tumors, um, your spinal cord, you know, cerebral spinal fluid, all these areas in your body, this cancer is spreading, your bone marrow. Um, and it's and it's a pretty... I mean, it's not rare, but, and it's been studied to the point where they, they, it was so deadly in kids when it was first out there, you know, way back in the eighties and nineties or whatever, like they had no choice, but to like get study it and find cures for it. So it had a 90% you know, cure rate, which is good, but it had to be treated like immediately um, because it was so uh, spread so quickly. How does this, I mean, you're 17, you're a star athlete. At 17, we all think we're bulletproof, I think, and we're going to live forever. So <laughs> yeah. how does this land? How do you, is it, uh, is it devastating? Do you take it as a challenge? Are you in the yeah. wilderness mentally? Where are you? Yeah, that's so funny you say that. Like, I literally thought that, like, I could not be stopped. Like, I was at my prime of, like, physical capacity in my mind of at that time of like where I was going to be in football. And then like, I'm just putting it off in my head. Like I'm getting, I'm like, I'm not sick. I'm okay. 
Oh, fine. And then you fight, you fight, fight until you, ha- you really have the realization that, like, this is bad. Immediately, and we'll just kind of go over my personality. Like, I'm a very positive individual to begin with. I'm not, I'm always trying to smile or have, you know, a good interaction with somebody in general and just give off that general positive vibe. So immediately, the first thing I'm thinking about, though, is like, what do I do to do to get better? I mean, when the doctor came into the office or came into the, not the office, the, the, the room, when they were about to tell me what was going on, I was the first thing before you say anything, it was like, you know, can I play football? Like I was in, I was in denial that I didn't, I was not properly educated about cancer. I was, cause my life was just football and doing all this and, and you know, improving that. But I think that's also a very typical 17 year old answer. You it's, see everything exactly. in the world of your experience. Yeah. And you're right. Exactly. So when he says no, that was the only thing that made me cry. Like I, I immediately just started crying and bawling out because like my dreams felt like they were just shattered. However, with that, you know, after those tears and that realization comes the, the inner part of like me and who I am, where I'm like, you know, I, I want to beat this. Like I, I, I have no other choice. Right. But I, it was like, just get me better. Like, get me better. What do I got to do to get better? What's my next step? Like, how do we attack this? And they were very, very clear and precise of like, here's our steps of how you beat this. And so I just dedicated myself to doing it. Now, you know, just because I'm a positive guy and, you know, I have this, you know, very dedicated instinct to like attack something doesn't mean that like, I was not like, what if, you know, you know, why me? Uh, Those feelings definitely settled in. It was, it was very, very difficult to cope with for years. Like the, you know, just constantly, you know, having thoughts about it or dreams about it, but it's just, I will say that I had a great community and support system, which I think anybody that's ever going through anything in their life, that's like putting them in adversity or, you know, struggle is like, if you have a support system of people there for you, that's a game changer. And that's what I had. I had a great support system and I was a captain of the football team. So like, that was like, I also knew in the back of my head, like I have all these people supporting me from the township, friends, family, but I also have like an obligation as a leader to like, mo- like I knew I could do this like as a motivational factor for my teammates, even though selfishly, like I want to be out on that field with them. And like, it's hard for me to do that. But I knew in my head, like I need to be a leader. I need to be someone who can show that like, Hey, listen, I'm not going to let this beat me. Like I'm going to get through this and that's going to help you guys as a team. Talk to me about, the treatment, what, what did it all entail? Uh, and were there times where the treatment almost felt worse than the disease? Cause I know a lot of times with cancer and, and chemo that can very well be the case. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, great question. And also kind of goes back to, uh, that mindset of like being a uh, 17 year old and also some of that and a little bit of like my mindset, like I have a very, I'd like to think resilient mindset to things. And so, when I'm going through treatment, I'm just like, you know, I used to say like, zap me up, whatever you got, give me as much as you can. I can handle it. I got this, you know? Um, and the first month 
we'll just say that, yeah, the first month, their main goal with this style of, of cancer is they keep you in the hospital until you're in remission. So they get, they put you through different types of chemotherapy that I wouldn't say are intense, but they put you mostly on uh, prednisone, which is a steroid on a lot of it. So the first, inter- the first, thing I experienced with treatment is not necessarily like your typical chemo things. Like I had some, you know, like some nausea, you know, all that stuff. I didn't really experience like the vomiting or, you know, the hair loss or anything yet. It was more of my body like blew up like a balloon because I was on so many steroids and I was going through like typical thing you would take when you go through, take all these steroids is like all these hormonal changes and like your body just, it actually, that was like the worst experience ever. And I'm getting a realization like my body is completely transferred to being like this complete athlete to being like walking up the stairs because my body is so swollen is difficult. So that's the first thing. And then they get you into remission. You know, you go through spinal treatments. Um, they got to put, you know, chemo in your spine, your bone marrow to help uh, beat that off. It was good enough that I didn't have to, um, with my, my counts where I didn't need a bone marrow transplant. Sometimes with this style of cancer, they might have to give you a bone marrow transplant right away. Um, I was fortunate enough not to be there, but after the month, then you go through basically six months, uh, mostly in home, but you might go in and out, uh, patient of hard chemotherapy. So less the steroids and now more of like those chemo treatments that start giving you those side effects of like, Oh, okay. Now I'm going through chemotherapy where like you have the serious nausea, the days where like you you know, your body just feels completely defeated. Um, and I had all that stuff. Like, I mean, I, there were times where it was really hard for me because again, like, again, you said that you're a 17 year old kid where you want to live that lifestyle. So when I go home, like, Hey, I can start to get my life back to normal, but you can't because when you go through chemo, your blood counts go down. So you can't necessarily be in contact with that many people. You got to be very cautious, you know, with, you know, getting infections or, you know, viruses. And I had a lot of setbacks because I was trying to be a 17 year old kid. I got pneumonia. I got, uh, <laughs> I got, a uh, a blood clot in my lung. I had, a uh, I forget what the heck I, they call it. Uh, I don't know why I, sh- I should know this because it was like the worst pain I've ever been in my life. Um, but I had a blood clot. That was actually a, a side effect of chemo. I had to go right into the hospital for that. I had a lot of, I did have some, some, some setbacks that were really tough because I was going through chemotherapy and that was over that six months. Um, some of those chemotherapy treatments were really, really tough. Um, when you like, look at that glass bottle and it's full of toxic stuff going to your, your veins, it's, it's a, you know, it's a tough realization. And then after the six months, you go through maintenance for three years uh, where you go once a month. It's outpatient stuff. You know, it's, it's very, very simple. Um, your life starts kind of coming back together. So this was basically January that year. So that was the second half of my senior year where I could like actually go back into school and like kind of live my life a little bit. I did go through some radiation in my head because they needed to make sure that the cancer cells were out of your, you know, out of basically your brain. Um, that made me lose my hair. And, you know, I started actually looking like a cancer patient, you know, very pale, thin, no hair, nothing, you know, that's, you know, what happens. So 
but your life does start to go back to normal during those, you know, first six months out of the three years. And you go through chemo once a month, you have to take medicines and, you know, all that stuff. And it is a process with this type of cancer. It's, it's not a fun process, you know, because knowing that, you know, when I start to get your life back together, you still have to go through treatment, but you always kept telling myself, like, you know, you just want to get better. Did you ever have fear that this might be it? Or did you never let your mind go there? Um, no, because they reassured through this type of cancer that you could be healed. And I knew that. However, I did go through like a lot of mental anxiety and just anxiety, anxiety in general because of like it coming back. That was my biggest fear. It wasn't about like me dying or being it because didn't really feel that way. Like, and I, and I kept telling myself as I was going through treatment, like I did like mental training sessions with myself of like, Hey, I'm going to like beat this through like meditating and just telling myself, like, I got this, I'm going to beat this. So I knew I was, but like still just that anxiety of those next three years, even though I'm going through like once a month, like, is it going to come back? You don't like, it, it, it's just, it's hard to explain that, but deep inside I knew it wasn't, but there was still that what if, like, what if it comes back? What if I got to go through it all again? Because they were saying like, you guys still stay on your treatment plan these next three years, because if you fall off, like there's a possibility. All it takes is one cell, one tiny cell to be floating around. They don't, and unfortunately they don't, they don't have a machine in their systems that they like scan your body and be like, Oh, there's a, you got one cell left. You need to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They don't have that type of technology. So it's just based off of their studies. And, you know, I was just, you know, I was very hopeful, but that was something I did deal with for sure. What's the moment you talk about the three years of maintenance. So at that final treatment, are you declared cancer free? Do they say, we're going to, you know, we want you to come back every year just for a checkup. Is there that moment of elation where, you know, you're, you've, you've beaten it? Uh, I would say after, so when the three years are out, there's more of a moment of like relief that like, oh, thank God I don't have to do these treatments again because those once a month treatments did affect me. Cause I was kind of like, I was at that point I was transferring into like a whole nother part of my life of CrossFit and all these other things. But um, that once a month treatment did affect me like that, those first, that week and a half, like it's, it was like your body definitely felt different. So it was like, thank God I don't have to go through this anymore. Um, but I would say the, the, the process of that, it's not necessarily done yet. You need to go, you start with every, I believe six months you go, it's either three or six months. You go back, they do blood work. Then you do another checkup after like a year. And then after that, like you're declared um, in survivorship. So you still need to go through a couple checkups after your last treatment. They don't just say like, hey, you're a survivor, you're good. Like there's still a possibility. So that's where like the anxiety will come in. Like after that last treatment, you know, for the next year, like, is it going to come back? So they do need to go through checkups with you and blood work. So the after then after that year, you know, what's your your mindset? Yeah, I mean, after that when I was declared, it was just basically 
my mindset at the time was like, I was just over it. I was just, even after that last treatment, I was in a mindset where like, I'm just ready to just move on. I kind of actually to a point for a while until I did a podcast with another good friend of mine talking about like cancer and how that changed my life. Like I tried to put like, I just tried to put cancer like behind me. I tried to, I like blacked it out for a while because I just wanted to like live a normal life again. That was like my, that was my main focus. Like I was not even thinking about really much other than that. Just like going back to living a normal life, getting my body back to like feeling, you know, a way without poison in it. Um, so like I, I had a feeling like I already beat it. Like I, I knew during the, those years, like I was saying, like I was, I, I already beat this. I already thought I already beat it when I was like, out of that first month in a sense of my mind, but like, there's still that worry possibly of it coming back. But I, I knew I beat it and I knew I was ready to just like to move on past cancer. I was like, forget this. I'm never going to talk about it or think about it again, basically after, uh, you know, those three years and then moving on to survivorship. How did it change you personality wise? If at all, uh, it, cha- it completely changed like the way I, I look at, things like cancer the way i explain it is i almost feel i think that people need not this experience in general but i think people need to go through adversity in their lives like that they're they're really challenged because it really makes you have a have a, a it makes you for me at least it really changed my mindset to be extremely positive i'm not saying that's going to go for everybody but this type of experience can, can only make you better. Um, it made me appreciate things for sure. You know, you can look at it like, you know, I mean, I can, I live every last moment. That's not my necessarily particular mindset to it, but it definitely gave me the perspective of my life is, was, was think everything happens for a reason that life has a plan and at, at that moment, you know, where things seem at its worst, you know, try to tell yourself, like, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. There's always, there's something. And this could be something like, you know, you do sports radio and podcasts, like, you're going to do, you know, you, you have to work with or talk to athletes and instances that go through injuries all the time, like, what do you do when you deal with that? Like what, how are you going to respond to that adversity? And you got to try to look at things from a positive perspective. Like how is this going to make me better? How is this going to allow me to grow? And so it definitely changed my mindset just in a way where I just try to make the most out of like, and just like being a positive person Uh, for me, at least, you know, that's my experience that I take out of that. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Marco Dabke right after this. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week is Marco Dabke. He is a fitness coach. He is the owner of CrossFit MFP in Havertown, and he is also a CrossFit competitor. So, college, you end up going to Westchester. Uh, If I read correctly, once you're in survivorship, you you took a run at football with Westchester, and then you, you broke an ankle or broke a foot? Actually, I was still, that was during my, 
maintenance. So when I started maintenance, it was January 2011. So that was the going into the second half of my senior year. So for, let's just say from 2011 until 2014, I'm doing that. So I freshman year, so I'm still going through treatment. Like my body, I'm definitely not anywhere I used to be, but like I ended up going to Westchester because they had, you know, they were appealing in terms of education for what I wanted to do. And my good friend that I played football with in the Chamonix was playing there. And I, they recruited me at some point and I was just like, Hey, like, you know, here's my tapes again. Would you guys mind if I, you know, try out? And I, they knew exactly who I, they knew who I was and they saw my tapes of what I was. But uh, when I went to try out, I was, uh, it, I was just nothing. And it, it was, it was tough to deal with, but like, I was still going through treatment once a month. I was, it was hard for me. I was still trying to work out and train, but I'm trying to train off like all, you know, there's all that treatment from like that past year. That was that fall. I tried, I went on the team. I was like, all right, I'm going to go home this winter break. I'm going to really dedicate myself to like training for these six weeks, like get in as best possible shape, come back for spring ball and like really show them that like, I can actually become like a walk-on player um, and maybe earn something out of that. And literally as soon as we came back after that winter break, probably after a couple of weeks in where I was playing basketball in one of the gyms there and I basically ran into this wall and completely demolished my foot. Um, and I was just like, all right, maybe this is not all meant to be. Maybe I just got to move on with my life somewhere else. So, I, I, I was, I was, I looked good starting that spring ball season in terms of the weight room and all that stuff and making a presence. But once that, once I broke my foot, I was just like, you know, I don't feel like going through all this again. Like this is not meant to be. And I just got to move on. So how does CrossFit come into your life? So after that experience, I'm pretty much in a boot for that whole rest of my sophomore uh, freshman year I go home that summer I start getting into like helping out the high school team with strength and conditioning because that's kind of an area I maybe wanted to get into in my life and my career uh, and I took the kids to this one place to do some training some of the football kids at Nishamani and I was there was CrossFit in this gym and I saw a class and I was just intrigued and I saw I heard of CrossFit before that like I had an idea of what it was just from like competitive CrossFit side of things and the games and just in general. But when I saw a class, I got intrigued. And then when I went back to college at Westchester that for my sophomore year, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to try this CrossFit thing. So like, I didn't really have anything else to do. And I looked up CrossFit in Westchester and CrossFit Westchester showed up and I rode my bike to a, you know, at 5 AM to go to a six o'clock class to the gym and I show up and then the rest is history from there. Was it immediate that this is going to be a big part of my life going forward? Yeah. I, I just, there was no other way to like, I was just so excited to try it out because I was doing my research about it. I was looking and I was looking into like the competitive CrossFit stuff, which really not is not what CrossFit is in general, but there, that's a side of it. I was looking at that like, oh, this would be cool for something for me. Cause, like, give me purpose to do something else as an athlete because now I don't have football. And I soon realized when I got to the gym and I did that class that, like, 
it was just a great atmosphere. It was a great workout, which I loved. It made me feel some sense of accomplishment. And it was just a great vibe in the gym from the people, the coaches. I just immediately was hooked. I, there was, I was just so attracted to the style of the workout, the, the gym itself. Um, and as soon as I started doing um, sessions and classes, like I just completely went all in. That's, that's my mentality with a lot of things. Like I'm just somebody who could just like, if I find value in it, I'm going to go 100%. And that's what I did. Where do you go from somebody who really enjoys the class, takes the class to gym ownership? That's a whole nother level of, of involvement. Was that gradual or was that pretty quick? You started looking and it, you know, you mentioned the, the tr- help training and stuff like that. It fits in that thread. You know, how do, where does that happen? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty, long timeline so here's how i'll condense it for you so it started off when i when i started going to crossfit well westchester that was a gym i was immediately started getting into like well how do i do like competitions and stuff like that so that was kind of like my main focus uh in terms of like working out having something to do and also like being able to like possibly do this as a competition and i was lucky that that gym and the community here and the coaches like saw value in me in doing that. So I started doing these team style of like competitions. And then eventually I was like, you know, I don't want to go back home to during the summer. Like there's really nothing for me at home. I'm just generally like, they can see that I was in school for like kinesiology and physical education. And I was like, Hey, like I would like to coach too. Like I, I, I saw, cause I'm just like a leader in general. Like that was just my, you know, telling you from like high school. So, and they saw potential in me uh, to be a coach there. And so as I'm, you know, doing this as like a workout regimen as possible way of competing. um, I also found another avenue for me to like work during, you know, while I'm in college. So I was started coaching and that relationship grew over five years of coaching, competing, developing myself as an, uh, an athlete and a coach. So I loved coaching. It was just something I felt that was meant for me because I'm a very social, positive pe- people person. I connect with people. I, I do well in group environments. That's just who I am in my DNA. And so it just was a perfect fit for me. And I was just so attracted to CrossFit and what it did for other people because in the back of my mind, like I was telling you, like, even though I, I put cancer behind me, like I knew that that experience led me to this. It was just like a connection I felt that you knew was right. And I also could use what I had in my story as a way to help other people, you know, provide them that path of like improving their well-being just the way I did. I kind of, that's how I used CrossFit in a sense. Like that was at first getting my body to a whole new level that I never knew it could be like more than when I was in football. Like I knew immediately through CrossFit, like the, what I'm learning here and how I'm growing here, you know, physically as I have more potential to grow. And so I was doing that while I was perfecting my craft and coaching. And then eventually I started to branch myself out, you know, after, you know, years coaching there and other styles of, work or coaching, whether if it was personal training, strength and conditioning, 
um, and sport and all these other variations while I was like still trying to be a competitor. And I kind of knew at some point, like my path would take me into like becoming my own gym owner. Like I, I knew I had the potential to do that over time. Uh, and I finally connected the pieces and I, you know, I finally said, all right, this is it. I know, I know this is something I need to do and I want to do. And in uh, 2017, that's when I finally started to make those steps forward to basically running my own gym and opening up my own gym. The CrossFit is obviously a passion. How was the adjustment to the business? It's one thing, I think, to be a coach. It's one thing to have it be a living. Now you got to keep the lights on. You got the trains have to run on time. You know, it's your place, but there's a business challenge there. Were you prepared for that? Did that surprise you that the challenges that presented? Yeah. Um, I would be lying if I was going to say that running a business is not a challenge. Like it's, it's very difficult. I knew when I started this gym, cause I kind of went back to that concept of like, everything happens for a reason. Like I knew I was on the right path in my life. Uh, so I knew when I went, when I started, decided to start the gym, that this was what I was meant to do. And I knew that it was going to work out. Now, when you start a gym, you know, the, you know, I did have help. I did have references in terms of like, you know, what are best practices? Like, what should I do first? And I knew a ton of other CrossFit gym owners. I, you know, just from being someone who's out there in the CrossFit world that, I would, you know, already a lot of people knew me and I had a lot of connections with so many people. I had a lot of people to refer to. I had a lot of advice from people of, you know, what to do and what not to do, uh, what best practices were. So I definitely had decent guidance, but when it came to eventually making those steps forward to start that gym, it was tough. I mean, I was just, it was just me. So wearing all the hats when you first start the gym is it's exhausting. And I was also uh, living in Westchester at the time still. And I started the gym in Havertown uh, because my now wife who works in the district as a phys ed teacher, that's where she would do her work too. So we were both commuting out of Westchester to Havertown. And so I would, you know, get up at three o'clock, get there at four do 5 a.m. classes, you know, be there all day, then have to leave, you know, at 8 o'clock at night, go back and then repeat through the week. You know, and between all those coaching those classes, you know, you're doing all the business things in terms of the trying to market your gym, trying to market business. Um, now, I did – I would like to say that I have a natural sense of, like, doing this well. Like, being a business owner in terms of, like, running a gym – it came to me very naturally, but not saying it's not very difficult. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I do well with it. And it's also a small enough gym and, and scale for me to like build. I started, I'm still, still am a small gym. So I knew it was like starting small and eventually build big. Like I didn't want to go too much too, too quickly. Um, I have a great location where like, you know, it's easy marketing for me, just like for people to walk by, you know, like get interest but again, all that took a lot of hard work, uh, just being on all the time, coaching, 
you know, making sure people are signing up and all those little details in between are, are very tough, you know. But yeah, that was my next question. Is it difficult? It maybe still, but at first to not get lost in the things that weren't the reasons why you fell in love with CrossFit. If you understand what I'm saying, like all those, those other things you talk about exhaustion. I think there's exhaustion from a good day's work. And then there's exhaustion just because there's constantly boxes on the list. You have to check. Did you ever find yourself getting lost in that? No. Um, I really, I mean, as tough as it is mentally and, you know, physically, obviously to do that stuff, I really enjoy being in that like control. I like having that style of like being able to manage all this and set things, you know, in a standard to, you know, how I run my gym, how I run cross, how I bring the name of CrossFit out there. I really enjoy like setting the standard on that. So that's just like, I guess you can say it's an ego thing for me more so where like, I really enjoy that. Uh, even as, as difficult as it is now, I now I have staff and I have, you know, all these other things that make my life a lot easier. First, that first year when I started, and I won't, and it definitely is tough financially to get started, like in terms of like getting membership and being able to build that base and, you know, to pay your overhead and all that stuff. Like that's definitely a challenge, but seeing it grow and, and knowing that like it's a process in the back of your head and just taking it step by step were all important pieces to, you know, the whole puzzle. And you mentioned early on you were intrigued by the idea of comp- of CrossFit competitions. And I know that's something you do consistently. And if I'm not mistaken, you just qualified for regionals or you're in the, the process uh, of qualifying. Yeah. Yeah. So competitive CrossFit, as always just like it's it's always gonna be a part of my DNA. Like I just love being a competitor um in anything, but CrossFit really gives me purpose to do that. Um, even though it's a second priority in my life, like running a business and being there for as a as a business owner for my members, and that's my main purpose. But yeah, I mean I that was just something like I'm just so attracted to it and I love it. Um and even though it's a different side of CrossFit and that's, I did, that's how I kind of got a good name for myself just in the CrossFit world, like at least locally in this area and in, in PA um, and qualifying for years past with these regionals and all these things individually. Um, now the formats changed. They, they call it semifinals now um, this year. Um, this whole past year, I wasn't really sure about like, I mean, I was going to do the steps to qualify for, you know, they have this thing called the Open, which everyone in the world can participate in, which is just a lot of fun. Um, that's a, even though it's for the world, like people's scores out of that would go to the next qualification process, which was pretty easy, which is like the top 10% in your, your continent. So that would be easy for me just because I have so many, so much experience with CrossFit. They make it to the next step, which is called quarterfinals this year. Um, and that was what I would figure would be like my end because I wasn't really training to be a CrossFit competitor. Like I would, just, I just do my classes every day. Typically, like I'll coach the morning classes throughout the year. You know, every day I would coach 5 a.m., 6:15, and then I'll take my 7:30 class with the class, and that would be it. 
that's all the workout training I was at least doing this whole past year. Um, so when I got to the open in this space called the quarterfinals, um, I just figured, you know, I'm going to do these quarterfinals and just do the workouts. going to try really hard, but I'm not expecting to go to the next phase, which is called semifinals, which is quote unquote, the new regionals. If you're not familiar with CrossFit, these are just stages and processes to go to the ultimate goal, which is called the CrossFit games. So do the quarterfinals and things went really well. And I was less, you have to be top 120 in your whole continent. So let's just say out of the open, there's top 10%, which is almost 8,000 individuals get invited to do quarterfinals out of these 8,000, you got to be top 120, which is a very, very small number to go to this process called semifinals. So I made, I ended up being 74th. So that was the kind of a surprise. So I wasn't really training for it. I was going to try, but I wasn't like expecting to be 120. So now that that's happening, you know, my business is, and you know, everything is still priority. I'm still, I'm training a little bit more to be prepared. So when you do these events like semifinals or that they called regionals in the past, um, if you're not like a sponsored athlete or if it's not like your whole life's purpose isn't like being a CrossFit Games competitor, you have to, you know, you got to put out money and a lot of time and energy to like go travel and sustain for these events that you go compete at. So, you know, doing these semifinals, I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to try. I'm going to like prepare. So committed to doing it, um, training, you know, like I used to train a little bit back when, you know, competing was like my main thing I wanted to do. But, uh, you know, I do it smart. I'm not like killing myself. I'm, I train very, very smart and intelligently where I know my body and it's something I'm going to commit to, but it's not like my whole life's purpose. I'm not going to, you know, stop my business or anything to be, I'm just, I have experience now. I've been doing CrossFit and at least at a high level for, Coming up on, you know, uh, let's just say, what, nine years here. So, um, yeah, I love it. I love it, and I'm going to go give it my all. I'm going to have some fun. And when you talk about CrossFit competition, for people that aren't familiar, kind of give me a quick walkthrough. Are you trying to do a workout quicker? Is it an accumulation of points? How? Give me kind of the, the nuts and bolts of what is into it as far as the actual competition. Yeah. So, and I figured we had to go there. So I'm assuming most people listening, they probably have are like, what's competitive CrossFit versus like a class at a gym? Um, I typically categorize them as two separate entities. They have an, a CrossFit gym that just trains your everyday person who wants to improve their whole quality of life, be more fit. Well, and then you have CrossFit where you can take essentially the method as a sport. And so what that entails is, like we were talking about in the very beginning, well, what is CrossFit? Well, you have all these different called domains or aspects that you can integrate into workouts, you know, whether if it's body weight, bars, you know, Olympic stuff, uh, running, rowing, all that. And you create workouts. And typically when you do workouts, you can do, you know, them in a set time, like 15 minutes. You can do a workout four time uh, for reps. And when you do it in a competitive sense, sometimes it's as fast as possible, or there might be different events that 
It might could be, it could be just a lift. It could be a combination of all those things. The idea in a competition, though, is you're testing different components of fitness because that's really what CrossFit is. You're 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 developing different components of fitness, like I said. So when you test these different aspects, like in a competition, let's just say one workout could be, you know, let's just say theoretically you could do 3,000 meters on a rower. You could take a jump rope. You'd have to do double unders, which is jumping rope twice in your feet, and you go onto a treadmill and you have to go run 5K. That could be one event itself. So that's mainly we could say like an endurance event to test in competitively. Well, then your next workout that later that day could be like a max lift, you know, a specific type of lift, a series of lifts, uh, heavy, something maybe that's heavy. So we have like, you don't, can't just be like endurance wise, you have to be able to be strong. So that could be in a competition as well. Typically you would see these different ranges of it. Then you can have a mix of that, which is kind of what CrossFit is in general, where you can mix like weights, body weight you know, and just all those things into a workout. And again, you would compete with that for time or for reps or whatever that competition standard is. Um, and so on with a bunch of other events that have that variety of different um, tests, we could say, in your fitness. So typically in a CrossFit competition, if we were doing something like semifinals that we're talking about, you have three different days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You might have two or three workouts that day. You know, the workouts could be, you know, if it's a long one, it could be as long as, you know, 30, 40 minutes. Typically, you might see workouts around like that 10 to 15 minute time frame. There could be a very short sprint of a workout where, let's just say, if I pulled an example from a regionals one year, a workout could be like you do 15 muscle ups and then you do a set series of heavier lifts for time. A muscle up, so where you pull yourself up on the rings, then you would pull up, do a dip out of it. So, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff to it. I mean, it's very, very complicated. Um, if you're someone who's really doesn't like have any familiarity familiarity with CrossFit to understand how a competition works, but think of it as like you do. It's not just one day; it's a couple of days. You do different tests of different components of fitness um, and different varieties of that, mixing them together or individually. It could just be you know, pure body weight gymnastics where you're doing pull-ups, handstand walking, a handstand push-up, a muscle-up, or maybe it could be muscle-ups and running or, you know what I mean? That kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do like the CrossFit Games, which is like the mecca of fitness, which I've never been to, but I've been always to the step before that, that's what I, you know, these um, semifinals or in the past called regionals would qualify you for that's like, you know, maybe four days, maybe five days worth of like more events and workouts. And the, those people are, are the fittest in the world. It's, it's very, very difficult to get that far. So yeah, you got, you got to have some serious fitness um, to be that competitive in CrossFit. Earlier in the conversation, I think right when we first started, you you mentioned something about the negative connotations or, or negative that's associated with CrossFit. What did you mean by that? And what you know, what do you want people to know that that doesn't represent CrossFit? Yeah. So typically, CrossFit 
the first thing is people will think is you're gonna you're gonna get injured when you do CrossFit. You're gonna get hurt. Um, which in a sense could be very true. Absolutely. I mean, people can get, get get hurt though doing any sort of form of physical activity or exercise if they're not in the right environment, the right progression or modifications for where their level is, and so on and so forth. It doesn't necessarily have to be CrossFit, it could be any sport or any fitness regimen that you do. It just so happens that CrossFit has its unique style of doing workouts. Um, and some movements might be in particular a little bit more out of the ordinary for people that maybe just go into a different gym because one of the things CrossFit got a bad rep of was because of the variety and typical strength conditioning culture or old school um, mentality is that, you know, you go into a gym on Monday, you do back and buys, you know, you do chest the other day, you do your legs the other day and CrossFit kind of just, took that and totally flipped it into a, a whole different script. And then people were like, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to work out or train. And it just really just brought a whole new light to physical development in my sense, but there is a right way and wrong way to do CrossFit. If you're teaching someone right off the bat, how to do something like what's called like a kipping pull-up where you use your hips to do a pull-up versus being able to have the full strict strength and just pull yourself up without any momentum you know, that would be a problem. Teaching people complicated lifts too heavy too quickly or without the right form and mechanics can be very bad. Where that comes into play is people that maybe open CrossFit gyms or, you know, teach CrossFit may not even have a background of like going to school for fitness. They could really, anyone could go to a level one course which is what it's called and get a CrossFit certification and be able to go teach other people CrossFit, which I'm not necessarily going to say a bad thing. I think it's what they do at a level one is amazing. Uh, the education, the professionalism is amazing. But that being said, you know, someone could just be like, Hey, I don't want to be an accountant anymore. I want to go learn CrossFit over a weekend and go start teaching somebody might not be the best formula, and again, however, I will, you know, back up for anyone who wants to learn how to teach CrossFit to people who might not have a lot of, ex you know, experiences. The best way you improve your craft is by practicing. So a lot of these people that, you know, aren't maybe we could say great coaches, they just need more. They just need the proper guidance and they need more practice and experience. So there are a lot of negative stigma, stigmas that come from CrossFit. Mostly it's from people that, you know, people that get hurt because they're just not taught the right progressions. They're not taught through a good program. The person that maybe writes a CrossFit program, maybe it's too random. Maybe they're just going all over the place and people are being pushed to their limits because CrossFit gets that like high intensity thing. And may, another bad rep is people do too much high intensity stuff every single day. And the body will wear and tear. So you have to have a program that balances, you know, high intensity, low intensity, a mixed uh, range of movements that are good for your tendons and ligaments that aren't necessarily ground and pound um, that a typical CrossFit program might have every day. So I think people that, you know, go into a CrossFit program, they just need to find the right coach, the right environment the right program that structures everything in a very smart and progressive way. So 
But again, that could be said for any other fitness regimen or program. But in the, in the end, CrossFit does more fitness-wise than any other, and health and wellness-wise more than any other thing out there. So it's got a thousand millions more positives than it would ever have negatives. So that people like to find negatives in things, and we could say, quote-unquote, troll <laughs> uh, on others. Your journey's been fascinating. And my final question to you, as someone who, you know, fought cancer, beat cancer, it's obvious, I think, that your experience of that is a big reason why you are where you are now. It's a bizarre question to ask someone who had to deal with cancer, but would you change anything in your journey? Absolutely not. That was the big, that was one of the things too, like, in terms of my perspective, like I would not change it, it every cancer really changed was why i'm here today if i didn't go through cancer i don't I, I can't even i don't even know what i'd be doing i probably would have went to college and tried to be you know big time football player and maybe found some sort of different career path maybe in terms of coaching but uh, i know i was kind of always meant to be somewhat of a coach but in terms of finding CrossFit, I don't know if I would have ever found it um, if it wasn't for cancer. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for cancer in the long run because um, I love what I'm doing. I love that I get to help other people on a day-to-day basis and change people's lives and just be someone that can be a leader for other people to just get better. Marco Dapke, thanks so much for the time. This was great. Yeah, thank you so much. This was a uh, a lot of fun, you know, again, like kind of like I was saying, like now I guess, you know, I can always use my story to, you know, help others, you know, whatever they need. So, yeah, I loved it. Thank you. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Marco Dabke for being our guest this week. If you like the show and you want to help us out and you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thanks so much for listening and for all your support. And join us again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.